everybody, and welcome to episode 6 of Soup Dreams. This is a very special episode because it's the first episode where we've ever had a guest. So I'd like to welcome our first guest. He was my roommate in college. Uh, his name is Aaron. Aaron, say hello. Hey, everybody. Uh, this week, we made a recipe that uh, Aaron first tried when we lived together in college. Uh, it's my mother's recipe. It is a Texas chili. And my mother's actually Canadian, or my, excuse me, it's my grandmother's recipe. And my grandmother is actually Canadian. So, uh, I might want to, you could call this Ted Cruz chili if you wanted. But please don't because it's good and Ted is gross. <clears throat> so, we've never done an interview before, but I guess I'll ask some questions of Aaron. Aaron, when did you uh, first encounter soup? Oh, man. Um, you know, I don't really have a, a very good memory in general. To think back to the first time I had soup, that that's really a tough question to kind of grapple with. And, you know, to be true, when you first broached me with the idea that you were going to start up a soup podcast, I do remember having hesitations because I've never considered myself to be someone that's particularly fond of soup. In fact, I would venture to say that I hated soup. And, um, you know, as, as you kind of talked about it and... I had to look within myself, I realized that there actually are several food items that I, I do enjoy that fall into the category of soup. Do you have any examples? Well, like, for example, chili, the, uh, the topic of this week's episode, and, and gumbos, of course. Um, you know, I don't know how broad you want to get. We've discussed, I don't know if I agree that wine is a grape soup, but, um, you know, etouffees are somewhat soup-like, and various other... Um, you know, I, I do enjoy potato, potato soup. We may need to modify the noodle test to just the starch test. Because uh, if you can add rice to a dish, because a curry is a soup and you add rice to that, gumbo you add rice. Uh, I don't know that I would think that etouffee is, is really a soup. Yeah, it's, it's not very soup-like, but it, I suppose if you don't simmer it long enough, it can be quite um, brothy. Yeah, so bad etouffee might be a soup. Ill-prepared etouffee might fall under the soup category. Well, that's interesting, I guess. Um, soups from your childhood that you remember liking particularly or disliking particularly? No, and that's another thing is one of my reasons for not liking soup very much is that my dad didn't really like soup, so my mom would never make it when I was growing up. I think my, my dad, his reasons for not liking soup are more legitimate. Um, you know, he, growing up, had to often work as like a ranch hand and um, doing a lot of hard labor, you know, hauling hay and doing all kinds of stuff during the day. And then he would come home or come into the house and was looking for something, a substantial meal, and his mother would have made some sort of a soup. And he didn't feel like that was quite hearty enough to, uh, you know, quell his hunger. So I think he didn't like soup for that kind of connotation. So my mom never made it growing up, and so I never really had it. So I never had any sort of, you know, you know, like, oh, my mom's cooking is the best. Never had any, like, soups that I really liked that my mom would make because she wouldn't really ever make them. Sins of the father on Aaron. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to me, the first episode when I was making soup for the DSA. Soup is an inherently working class food, which uh, I think gives it a nobility that a lot of uh, other things that you might need don't necessarily have. Today we made, uh, as I said, my grandfather's chili recipe. It's called Real Texas Chili. 
And uh, my mom sent me this recipe a few years ago, and it's just a scan of like this little uh, like recipe card that my grandmother had, and has a bunch of hearts on it. Uh, the ingredients are three pounds of chuck or rump roast, six tablespoons of oil, four cloves of garlic, two teaspoons of salt, two teaspoons of pepper, or excuse me, one teaspoon of pepper, four to six tablespoons of chili powder. Uh, I usually err on the side of six or more, like big, big tablespoons. Uh, eight tablespoons of masa, which is corn flour, six cups of chicken stock or hot water, two tablespoons of vinegar, uh, two beef bouillon cubes, and then some dried red chilies. Um, so the first thing you'll notice is this recipe has basically no vegetables in it, other than garlic and chilies, and the chilies are actually optional if you don't want to well, don't want to put those in there, which is very different than the vegan chili that we made. Uh, but I think we may find out that the taste is not all that different, but we'll have to judge that later. The hardest part of this particular recipe was uh, chopping up the beef, because Aaron does not have a functional like knife of any kind, and it was a very grating noise, which you'll hear in the sound collage. And this kind of surprised me, his lack of a knife, because I think there's a very, very near alternate universe where Aaron has a vast collection of swords. I don't know if his wife has drummed that out of him or what, but the talk about the knife situation, Aaron. Aaron, why are you so knife deficient? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to interject, but I wasn't sure exactly what my, um, you know, place was to do so. So uh, I would like to say that, in fact, I do have a knife, and Kyle is, in fact, just very weak and is not, uh, you know, equipped to wield my knife. I will say that I do have a, a knife set, a knife block that I got as, I believe it was a Christmas gift um, a few years ago from my mom. And, you know, knife sets are great because they give you a vast kind of, you know, swath of, or swatch, swath, a vast, you know. Um, there's several options. Several options, knives. several different things. There's bread knives, you know, paring knives, there's a big chopping knife. and. And so that's great, but usually the quality of those knives is not superior. And so I, I've actually been thinking as I've been getting more into cooking of, you know, purchasing a nice chef's knife that I can use to, you know, thinly slice meats and uh, things of that nature, because it is something that's important. And, you know, as an Eagle Scout myself, I know that uh, there's no um, more dangerous tool than a dull knife. And in fact, sharp knives are very good. So something that I'm looking into and, and do want to acquire at some point in the near future. Well, we were all in grave danger last night then. If the dull knife is as much of a threat as the Boy Scouts make it out to be. I think I did okay with it, but... It looked like uh, like a lawnmower blade after you run over a rock. Uh, so the first step in this recipe is breaking down uh, the whatever cut of beef that you choose. And you can use anything that's like big and cheap. Uh, into half-inch cubes, um, and you want to take out some of that gristle and fat. You don't take all of it out because it's, you know, adds some good uh, flavor, some depth of flavor to the to the cooked recipe. And we use the instant pot for for this recipe, and it was nice because normally this making this takes a couple different pans and pots. So you just take your your beef cubes and you put them on the in the in the uh, instant pot with the oil and saute it. And we use just kind of canola oil, I think, for this recipe. At home, I might have tried duck fat or coconut oil or something, just because Lindsay doesn't like uh, canola oil. I think it'll work out fine. That's what I made it with in the past, so I'm sure that it'll, it'll be fine. 
Uh, once you have got all that stuff browned, uh, you add your chopped garlic cloves, uh, salt and pepper, and the chili powder. And you just kind of mix those up. I would suggest using tongs. As I always say, tongs are the most useful kitchen instrument. Yeah, mix them with the tongs, and then uh, take your masa and sprinkle it over as you stir, and tong it up. Uh, this kind of can be tricky uh, because sometimes the masa will want to float to there, like you know, gravity will take over, and at 9.8 meters per second squared, the masa will descend to the bottom of the instant pot. So you really want to make sure you're mixing it up well. Aaron was actually our mixer. What observations did you have from mixing all the meats? Yeah, well, it's important that you, you know, slowly sprinkle it in as you mix. You don't want to just dump it all in at once because then you might just have the masa clump up with some of the, um, the kind of liquids that have accumulated through the cooking and the browning process. So that's pretty much the only note that I have on that. Yes, stir. Uh, after you do that, you add your hot broth or water. We use chicken broth. Um, then some vinegar, uh, some bouillon and uh, your chilies. We chop the chilies up. I think you can actually leave them whole if you want. I've actually never made this recipe with the dried chilies before because that's an extra step at the grocery store that I've never been willing to take. But Aaron had some, and so that was good. And as I, I, was, as I was getting the ingredients out for this recipe from Aaron's pantry, one thing I noticed was that despite his dearth of functioning knives, he did have two bottles of syrup. So yeah, we, uh, we add all stuff to the Instant Pot. And like I said, I never cooked this with an Instant Pot before. Uh, but we browned it on the saute function, added all the ingredients, and then I put it on their chili function for an hour and just left it overnight because uh, once it stops cooking, it'll depressurize and it'll stay heated for like another 10 hours. And uh, I came down this morning and noticed that it was not very thick. Uh, so I've been kind of just hitting it with the saute function every half hour throughout the day to thicken up. I guess the moisture can't really escape that pressurized seal. But it seems to have thickened up now, and uh, after our sound collage, we'll uh, have a taste and uh, see what we think. Uh, thanks, folks. See you in the next section.
What a grating sound collage. Sorry about that one, folks. Next week's will be better. So we've got our bowls in front of us. Aaron, you've got your bowl. Yes. Uh, so we're going to evaluate on our traditional uh, measures. First sight. Aaron, how would you say that your bowl looks? Uh, it looks like chili to me. I mean, it is monochromatic, as we've kind of discussed that soups tend to be. You do have some appetizing chunks of beef in there that you're just eager to get your little hands on. It's too hot to eat with our hands, but I appreciate what uh, imagery Aaron's using. Yeah, it's very brown. Again, we kind of run into the uh, monochromatic fecal nature of soup. This one in particular is diuretic, uh, and it's like diarrhea, not like a thing that makes you pee. Uh, there is some color. There's a couple chili flakes that add some red. And if you like get up close, you can see kind of some oranges, from the chili powder interacting with the fats. At first glance, it's brown, but if you look deeper, there's hidden depths. And again, soup seems to teach us a lot of lessons that you learn kind of in elementary school uh, about not judging a book by its cover or, you know, how society is the real monster. And I think from this chili, we can learn uh, don't judge a soup by its color. And wow. yeah. That's good. That is good. Uh, and so next we've got feel. We'll get to mouthfeel in a second, but right now it feels hot. The bowl I'm using is hot. Smell, pretty good. There's like a little bit of an acridness, and this is a problem that uh, you can run into with this particular recipe, because as we just talked about the masa earlier, it has a tendency to kind of clump at the bottom, and uh, it'll burn, and it'll give kind of like a burning taste to your chili, which is not good. I think luckily the Instant Pot uh, its saute function doesn't really get hot enough to produce a real burn, so we probably won't get too much of that flavor, but you can kind of smell just a little bit, but then it's like a beefy chili powder smell, odor, sound, mostly silent, not a whole lot going on, uh, and then of course taste. So we're going to take a, a couple spoonfuls and see what's going on here. I'll talk about kind of like, so there's no vegetables in here, right? The, the texture is just beef and then kind of like a thick, almost gravy-like broth. The broth is very good. Spicy, salty, but not too salty. It has a good, a good texture. It's a little lighter than gravy. Um, and the beef is really good. It's basically been disintegrated because it's been cooking so long. 
which is what you want. Um, but it still it hasn't. Um, one thing that'll happen with a more complicated uh, soup is that the flavors will kind of leach out of the beef, and you can't really get any like good meatiness. But I think this did a good job retaining it. Again, what are your thoughts on the taste? Uh, I think I'd mostly like. Oh, wow. Need <laughs> some water. Uh, I'm okay. No, it's excellent, and it's something that you know I have had this recipe a few times now. I think, like you mentioned, I tried it first when we were living together, but I could look at the email to see when you sent it to me for the first time, but I believe this would be at least my fourth time, I think, to make it, and I really enjoy it. Um, it's just very simple, like we discussed. There's really, besides the beef, and there's garlic and, and um, you know, dried chilies, but beyond that, everything else is you know, chicken broth, beef bouillon, um, chili powder, chili powder, chili powder, chili powder. Chili powder. powder. Is oil, like kind of your staple. So really, all you're getting is is beefy flavor with the chili powder and dried chilies and some garlic, and it's just a well well balanced chili. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be an elitist in any way, but I do um, have a strong opinion on the the bean and chili debate. I don't know if we really want to get too into that today, but so I, I have a, a fondness for this recipe for sure. I think it tastes great. It is good. And you know, in our first episode or second episode, I yelled a swear at somebody because they were talking about beans and chili and I was saying how it's not important and how we don't abide by labels here. And that's still true, but I'm not going to swear at Aaron because I've had complaints that there's been too much profanity on the podcast, and I am trying to be, you know, the number one millennial soup comedian that is clean in uh, the United 100% States. 100% clean. 100% clean. Yeah. 100% millennial. 100% soup. That might be our first t-shirt, or like a tagline. Hmm. Um, one thing I'm noticing, I was eating more as Aaron was talking, the addition of the, uh, the red chilies has like a really nice heat to it. Like normally when I make this dish, it's not that hot. But this has like a great kind of like afterburn. Yeah. So I said chilies were optional when I gave you the recipe, but you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't put the dried red chilies in there. Yeah, and, and when you get the dried chilies, you know they're in the produce section of your grocery store, and they measure that kind of stuff at the register by weight. So I picked up a handful of dried chilies, and they're essentially weightless, and so I think I paid six cents for those. So it's really... A worthwhile addition. You heard here, folks. First, folks, <clears throat> chilies are weightless. Um. So yeah, that's a. I and mean, this is a really good one. Um. Our tasting section went great. I ate all of my chili while Aaron was talking, which is a new experience for me. Uh, so we're gonna go on to our next segment, which is soup news. All right, soup news time. Uh, today's story comes to us from. I assume DC, uh, it's from a local news site called... When you need feedback, Sorry, but your guys. work isn't done, getting that feedback should be instant and easy, so you can keep moving forward. Yep. That's why we need freehand. All you do is... Okay, sorry guys. Uh, today's soup news comes to us from WUSA 9, which I believe is a CBS affiliate in uh, the city of Washington, DC, or the, the district. I don't know what it is technically. The story is... 
Nat's owner accepts Lucky, in, in quotes, matzo ball soup. Call him an owner in touch with his fans. Mark Lerner walked the field on Nationals opening day Monday and heard his name being called from the seats behind the first baseline before the game. Lerner, who was not surrounded by the opening day entourage you might expect, walked over to meet Hugh the Rubber Chicken Man. Hugh Kaufman, a.k.a. the Rubber Chicken Man. Kaufman gave Lerner a small sealed plastic tub of chicken matzo ball soup and exchanged pleasantries. Kaufman is a die-hard Nats fan and a familiar face in the stadium. He's the fan behind occasional rubber chicken sacrifices, which are made over the Nats dugout to break losing streaks. But Kaufman's soup is made with a real thing, and Nats manager Dusty Baker is reportedly a fan of his cooking. Lerner promised to get Kaufman's matzo ball soup to the dugout in time for the game. I made him this matzo ball soup through last season, and it brought us luck, and I hope it brings us luck this season, Kaufman said while holding a rubber chicken by the neck. The Nats won their season opener 4-2 with the help of the soup and without the sacrifice of Kaufman's rubber chicken, which will be saved until the team needs it. So there's a lot to unpack there. There's a deranged um, man who lives in Washington that makes soup for every game, and he also uh, practices idolatry whenever the Nats are having a losing streak, which is probably why they uh, have so much trouble in the playoffs. Aaron, you're a pretty big baseball fan. You're a season ticket holder to the Astros. Uh, if you could bring a soup to bring good luck to the team, what soup would you bring? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, the most, or the, my two favorite soups were, would be chilies and gumbos. And I think both have a great place in Houston um, because, you know, Houston is deep in the heart of Texas, and it's also close to the Gulf of Mexico where we have a lot of seafood. And um, so there's a lot of options for whether it be a shrimp gumbo or even a chicken and sausage gumbo or some sort of chili. I think um, one of those two would probably be the ones that I would pick. You So there you go. Uh, the only two soups that Aaron knows how to make, he would pick one of the two. What rubber animal would you sacrifice to help the Astros during a losing streak? Um, that's a good question. Again, um, you know, there's a lot of superstition that goes into baseball and I'm trying to think of what other animals you can typically find in a rubber fashion. You had to get these special ordered from China. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of any specific rivalries that the Astros might have. Uh, I suppose... I mean, the current divisional rivals, none of them are animals. Um, so if you would, you would have to go back to the National League days, in which case you could find a rubber cardinal, or perhaps a small rubber bear cub, or... Um, a rubber brewer. Uh, not an animal, but... Human being. Aaron is a well-known science denier. He does not believe that animals, or that humans are animals. I believe that... that the human species transcends the uh, denomination of animal, but that's not really a topic for this podcast. And you also believe in a literal seven-day creation, right? Well, <laughs> again, I'm not sure whether I'm comfortable speaking on that matter in this venue. But that's sure, yes, I do. Okay, good. Glad we got that taken care of. Uh, I'm surprised that Aaron did not offer to sacrifice a rubber gumbo or rubber chili, since those are the two things that he seems to gravitate toward to the most when answering well, questions. I will reiterate that you did specify rubber animal, and chili and gumbo are not animals. 
nor are humans. Also, if I may interject in the, in the news, mm-hmm. you mentioned that the, the matzo ball soup was, you know, um, a contributor to the Nationals win, but... Yeah, there's a citation needed for that. Yeah, I also think that, you know, Bryce Harper and his home run could have had a big big part in that as well. The, the soup actually came on as a pinch runner in the ninth and had a crucial steal. Really? Okay, yeah, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, so this deranged man has a lot of loyalty to a team that is brand new and in a terrible city. But, uh, you know, people need passions, and I admire his matzo ball uh, endeavors. I never actually had matzo ball soup, so we had to try that for the podcast one day. One of the problems with these recipes for stuff I never tried is I don't know how it's supposed to taste. And, like, you know, we ran into this with borscht the other week. I don't know if I talked about it, but the only time I've had borscht, like, that I didn't make was at a food festival, and there was, like, an Albanian food cart, and he was selling, like, pierogi-type things and borscht. And it was really good, but that was like the only, you know, comparison I had for the taste. With matzo ball soup, I have no idea if it was good or bad, other than kind of like the, you know, direct a priori experience of taste that I would have. And that's maybe something that we can delve into on a future episode, you know, kind of the um, platonic principles as applied to, uh, to taste. Like, is taste something like, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, where you could theoretically scratch it out in the ground and a slave would understand it? Do you think you think you could use basic principles to build a, a a theory of taste, Aaron? I mean, that's a great philosophical question. You know, is taste objective, or is can you you know, without having parameters with which to define and bind this concept of taste, like you mentioned, if you don't have any frame of reference for what a matzo ball soup should taste like. How do you go into that and decide whether or not it tastes good if you don't have any sort of traditional ideas of what that should be? Um, but as far as defining it as scientifically as and fundamentally as Pythagorean's theorem, no, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily possible. Yeah, and see, this is a thing that I think is a real danger when the aliens come, because they're going to bring their exotic outer space foods to us. And it's not going to be just like freeze-dried ice cream. I know that when you think space foods, you automatically think of freeze-dried ice cream. But they're going to bring alien soups. And as we already know from from human soups, like they look a lot like poop. And so aliens could be trying to like play a practical joke on us by giving us a bowl of, you know, what is visually uh, indistinguishable from alien waste matter and telling us to eat it. And we'll have no frame of reference for if that's what uh, food tastes like where they're from or if it's actual excrement. Does that worry you, Aaron? Well, you know, I'm not so sure that aliens that would be invading Earth or you know even visiting in a um, peaceful manner would do they would they necessarily have excrement? I mean, if they're advanced enough to to be reaching out to us here on Earth, I kind of imagine that they would be consuming something similar to a soylent, where you know they've genetically engineered this food product, whatever manner that takes, and it exists purely to fuel our bodies, or their bodies rather, exactly how they need to function throughout the day, and there is no waste. I think the aliens could learn a lot from us, because one of the most important and, you know, kind of foundational ways that human cultures interact is through the exchange of food. And so maybe if there is like a Mars attack situation uh, where the aliens don't like us or they want to take our resources, 
we can warm their hearts with the many soups that we have. And I hope that uh, I could perhaps get an official title as like uh, extraterrestrial soup ambassador. So if you know anyone at the State Department, uh, please put in a good word for me. And I think uh, I could save us all. Um, so that was soup news. Uh, moving along, our next segment is one star reviews, new name coming soon. And so once again, this is a, a home recipe and we can't find any one star reviews of my grandmother's. Although it would be funny if my grandfather was just leaving reviews for, uh, for every index card in the recipe book. There's a review that was like two stars, too salty, one star, but we're done. Uh, so we're going to search chili on Reddit. Let's pray to God that it's... Oh, jeez. <laughs> the third result is NSFW chili. And the first result... Oh, is it... That's I, all things chili peppers. Oh, and I was thinking red hot chili peppers, the, the no, band. regular chili. Act. So one is pornographic and one is uh, all things chili peppers. I'm not sure I see the correlation in the pornographic one, but I will leave that link blue. So let's click on all things chili peppers. There's two posts. One is Insane Heat YouTube. With one Six months ago. It's a nine minute video of two Norwegian guys eating a pepper. I'm not going to do that. And then the second is some soup news, or I guess chili news in this instance, where dozens of middle school students are sickened after eating the world's hottest pepper. Yeah, I think we're, we're into the actual pepper itself territory. Yeah, not, sorry. Not so much in the, the cooked dish. Okay, here's the chili. Has more subscribers, 228. Hmm. These are just pics of chili. Let's go to the most controversial. <laughs> the most controversial is a link called Chili Curry Stew. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, this website is godforsaken. Uh, it is a photo of a man's pubis. Uh, his, you can see his upper thighs and his, his pubic mound. Uh, but the actual dingus itself is covered with uh, the chili, and the caption is looks like chili, but it's not. Um, it looks like it's a vegetable soup, and there's some quinoa in it. Uh, this is a disaster. Never go to this website. Sorry, guys. Moving on to word salad. Uh, and so this for this week's word salad, we're going to read a question from Matt. Uh, Matt got married this weekend, so congratulations to him and his lovely wife. Uh, here's his question. Hey, Kyle, I'd like to submit a question for the podcast, if that's all right. Here's my question. What are your thoughts on the propriety of dipping grilled cheese in tomato soup? You know, I'm not a big tomato fan, and so I haven't really had much tomato soup. And I'm also, I went through a period where I didn't really ever want to eat grilled cheese. I like it now, but it's a very rare occasion, and also I don't eat gluten at home, so I don't really have occasion to eat grilled cheese. Uh, I guess it's fine. And this kind of, you know, this brings up another quandary. Like, if we're using the soup as a gravy, as we are in this instance, is it still soup? You know, or does sandwich bread count as one of the, the carbs in our refined carb test? I'm not sure. We'll have to ask the soup professor about that. But I think adding, uh, dipping a little grilled cheese in tomato soup is probably okay. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think it's okay. It's not really my preference. I prefer my grilled cheese sandwiches to be untarnished by any sort of sogginess. I prefer, you know, a crisp crunch on the outer bread, a soft inner ungrilled bread, and then of course the melted delicious cheese. And I don't 
really like to introduce, uh, you know, an extraneous element of tomato, uh, you know, liquid tomato. Not really something that I'm particularly fond of, but I know that there are many people who are very, very fond of this combination, including one of our mutual former roommates. You know, at what point are you just putting, you could just skip the middleman and put ketchup on your grilled cheese, right? That's, I don't know, there's too much vinegar in ketchup. Is ketchup, is ketchup tomato soup? I do not look forward to reviewing that one, but it might be my duty. I don't know about that. It's cooked on a stove, right? I suppose at some point, but where do you draw the line? I mean, you're gonna review every sauce that's ever been made. Well, some sauces aren't soups. Frank's Red Hot, is that a soup? Uh, well, Frank's Red Hot, the primary ingredient is vinegar, and I think in, in ketchup, the primary ingredient is the moisture from the tomato. There's a lot of vinegar in ketchup as well. I, I'd have to read a label, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the main ingredient. And again, we have to go back to our, you know, our, our what's it called? The Waystone? Something stone? Guide stone? Or is that a stone? No, the thing that sailors use. Oh. Our stone uh, of the addition of carbs. And you can definitely say, uh... oh my god. When you put ketchup on a hot dog, are you eating the soup sandwich? <laughs> Well, that that completely ignores the debate of whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. I agree, but yeah, uh, it's my it's kind of rocked my world. Yeah, we've we've opened up Pandora's box. I think the distinction between ketchup and tomato soup is like razor thin, especially for like a gazpacho. Then you're yeah. I think we may have to review ketchup on the podcast. But I, I would again caution you because... What happens when I go down this road? Right. Then you've got barbecue sauce, you've got sriracha, you've got ranch dressing. I mean, where does it end? Well, I think so. Sriracha is probably the closest to like a soup parallel. You know, barbecue sauce is like molasses or mustard. But which it, I don't is, think it is simmered in the same way that a ketchup would be. That's true, you're right. Well, uh... Matt, I think you can eat your sandwich however you want. I wish you hadn't opened this new door for me. All right, uh, on to our penultimate segment of rankings. Aaron, would you like to review our rankings for us? Um, name off the top of your head? I, What's our number one staple soup? Number one staple soup, I believe there's only one in the category, and that would be beef stew. Correct, do you know our uh, exotic stews slash soups? I think you mentioned last week on the podcast that Borscht finally dethroned vegan chili for the number one spot. Aaron is a bad listener. Okay. Egg drop soup throned vegan that's, chili. That's right. I've it's just... Borscht, egg drop soup, vegan chili, and uh, oyster stew. Okay. I apologize. That's okay. Uh, Aaron, where would you put this? I would say this is a staple food, a staple soup because I make it more than once a year. That's kind of the criteria that I'm going by. If it's something that I would make if I didn't have... A unnecessary outlet for making soup. I would agree. It's definitely a staple. Okay. And very similar to beef stew, in in some ways, as far as being a soup. I'm sorry, I had air on this podcast. <laughs> a soup. He clearly knows nothing about soups or stews. Well, I will give you that it's a, a soup comprising mostly beef. Aaron's computer keeps turning on and making noise. I'm sorry, everybody. It's fine. We're almost done. Get out of there. He's crawling under the desk like a cat. So, Aaron, I'm going to give you the honors. Where would you rank the beef stew you haven't tried and the chili that you made yourself in the staple 
Stoops slash Stoops category. I think we've got a new number one. I think you're right. Chili. Texas chili. Number one with a bullet. Number two with a bullet. Beef stew. Uh, exotic stews remain the same. Borscht, egg drop soup, vegan chili, and oyster stew at the bottom. Uh, oh, and one last thing that we didn't talk about was... I'm sorry, guys. So for the tasting purposes of this podcast, we ate our chili, uh, you know, plain, no ornamentation. But one thing that I like to do that is really good is you uh, make a little scrambled egg and mix it in that chili and throw in uh, some sour cream and some cheese. And just a, a bunch of new different flavors to play with. Uh, the classic way of preparing the scrambled egg for a chili is to beat two eggs into a coffee mug and put it in the microwave for two minutes. Uh, Aaron, have you tried this combo before? I have not. All right, well, we'll try it tonight because we only had a small sample, sample portion. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, have a great week. Congratulations to Matt and Lady. Bye-bye. <laughs>